This is Friday Night Frights, brought to you by Starburst Magazine. Hello and welcome to Friday Night Frights, the weekly horror podcast from Starburst Magazine. I'm John Tolson and my guest tonight is Lee Dovey, the director of The Fallow Field. I've been having episodes. Blackouts. Deja vu is something. Lee Dovey's The Fallow Field comes on like a cross between Memento and Wolf Creek, with a little bit of The Wicker Man and Pet Cemetery thrown in for good measure. It tells the story of Matt, an amnesiac who wakes up in the wilderness with no recollection of the last seven days of his life. Following bits and clues of returning memory, he traces his steps to a remote farmhouse whose lone inhabitant harbours a dark secret, one that both he and Matt share. My car... Harking back to rural British horror films of the early 1970s, The Fallow Field is the assured debut of director Lee Dovey. What do you grow? Anything I like. This ground. Real fertile. The Fallow Field is described as memento meets Wolf Creek. And it's got a, a, a bit of a supernatural element in there as well. Obviously, we don't want to give too much away about the, the twists in the story but can you can you tell us a little bit about where the idea came from in the first place yeah i mean i i think it was a fusion of lots of ideas from watching films when i was a younger kid um probably watching films i shouldn't have been watching um at too early an age where things just sort of hold in a memory bank and, and then and then come out in the writing process later and Obviously, when I was when I was young, I used to watch a lot of films in the seventies, um, a lot of horror films, and they had a. I think you know when you're younger, they things have a, a greater effect on you. So I had a always had a great nostalgia for for seventies horror films. So I wanted to do something that was very very English, and also sort of like had that had the atmosphere and tone of those sort of times. Um, so I, I did. I set out to write something that was that was going to be set in the English countryside and that would try and capture some of those flavours and um, I also think that you know there's been so many American horror films that um, that you know set, set in rural American areas and I just think England's far more interesting you know we've got, we've got a pagan history and we've got beautiful eerie landscapes and different weather it just seemed crazy that we don't make more um, more British looking British horror films these days. Sure. So that was what we tried to do. Um, and I mean, story wise, I don't know. I've written a lot of different scripts and there's a lot of weird ideas. I, I don't really know how you describe coming up with ideas. I guess if you have the ideas, you just have them and then run with them and develop them. And they, and when you look back at them afterwards, when you've written a draft or when you've, when you've actually made a film, you look back and then you can start to see the influences. So films like Blood on Satan's Claw, um, definitely in there, you know, yeah. um, a bit of Witchfinder General. Um, lots, of, lots of other weird films from the sort of 
seventies and, and the and the sort of couple of years either side of that as well. Um, so I think again, when you're when you're when you're a child and you're watching these films on TV or however, they all kind of get stored up and you remember scenes and and, and moments and, and and views and shots, and they all kind of come out in the writing process. Well, it's interesting that you you mentioned Blood on Satan's Claw because that was certainly one of the films that sort of. Uh, sprang into mind as, as I was watching The Fallow Field and also The Witchfinder General as well, which I think is reflected in the, your use of landscape and some of the photography in the film. But th- it was quite a big... Um, it was quite a big movement, wasn't it, in the early 1970s in Britain, that, that kind of rural or folk horror. And they kind of do kind of stay in the mind, as you say. Were there any other particular films from that sort of era that were your favourites? Um, oh, I like everything really. I mean, I I, I think I put in our press pack um, that I like serious horror films, and I think if I'm making a horror film, I'd, I'd always want to make something serious because it's such a hard, you know, massive undertaking to try and get something off the ground. So I'd want to make a serious horror film. But then I like I like lots of trashy films as well, yeah. and I like jokey jokey horror films. I mean, I, and obviously at my at my age, when I was, um, I remember my dad getting the. I mean, in the 70s, it was basically what you could watch on TV. So that was, you know, you remember seeing films like The Shuttered Room and a lots of Hammer stuff and The Beast in the Cellar. And all these films were, you, you, were, you, were, you were at the privy of what the schedulers were put on. And fortunately, in the 70s, as you probably remember, there was a lot of, a lot of horror would be put on TV. And you had the horror BBC double bill on yeah. a Saturday night, which you would have like a universal and then a sort of 70s colour. Mm kind of horror afterwards which was fantastic you'd spend all all day saturday trying to behave so you're allowed to stay up and watch it mm-hmm. but then obviously later in the 80s then everything started coming out on vhs so then i, I can remember the, the the things i watched in the 70s were kind of almost eclipsed for the next decade or so because as soon as you got hold of a, v, a video recorder you just suddenly these films were emerging from everywhere that, that there were 80 films in the 80s that were just a constant stream of, of stuff that you could get your hands on and watch so i think when you look back uh, sort of it, the 70s were like a time capsule in a way because everything that happened after the vhs revolution onwards that suddenly you were allowed to just see what you were allowed to see and there were a couple of great films are stuck in your mind. And then after that, it was just a, you know, like a feeding frenzy, if you're mm-hmm. anything like me, of just watching everything, you know. Yeah. So, and there was a lot of horror films in the 80s. So that it was very, very distinct, different, different decades, really. And, and stylistically, too. I mean, not just horror films, but I mean, I love, I love, you know, Peckinpah and, 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 and a lot of the conspiracy films that were out in the 70s as well. I love the bleak tones and the, yeah. it was like adult filmmaking, really. You know, they sort of, um, in, the, in, the, in the right sense, you know, they were kind of, there were serious films that often had bleak endings. And mm. Deathline as well, which was kind of almost remade as Creep. Yeah. Deathline's a, a really sour film. It's mm. very, very grim. Mm. Um, and, but not grim in a way that set out to shock. It's just almost mundanely grim, you know. Mm. Um, they just did what they thought was right with the material. Um, and I, I, I don't know if we, we, we do that now. I, think, I guess with, um, with indie horror these, these days, there's a lot of people really striving to do good stuff. But I think often people are just trying to come up with an idea that sells really well mm. um, rather than just letting the material go in the right direction. Um, and, and for every kind of bland sort of studio horror film 
um, that's been diluted or remade and diluted. Um, there's obviously lots of people trying to make indie or lower budget films that really have a lot of passion and doing the right thing with it. But um, I think everyone's so aware these days that people are, are, are sort of, there's a marketing mix ingredients to filmmaking. Um, whereas I think in the 70s, people just, you know, had an idea, kicked it about, cast it, developed it, went out and shot it to the best of their abilities and turned it in. It was like, a, I don't know, maybe I, I wasn't there, but I, it feels like it was a simpler, more honest approach to filmmaking at the time. Mm. I mean, the fallow field does seem to kind of be, be part of a, a current movement that looks back to the, to the 70s. There's also another film that I watched recently called I, don't, I Didn't Come Here to Die, which uh, I don't know if you've seen that, but that also refers very kind of explicitly to the kind of... It's an American film, so it refers explicitly to the American sort of backwoods horror movie. But yeah. I was reading, for, for your film, The Fallow Field, I was also reading a review that uh, MJ Simpson wrote recently, and he, he also kind of detected traces in the supernatural aspect of the film of sort of M.R. James and E.F. Benson. Yeah. Uh, and, but there's also, I mean, the more kind of the fallow field unspools and the more you kind of think about it, that it does seem to kind of um, go quite deeply into a lot of the sub-genres of the 1970s horror because there's also the kind of nature, uh, the kind of nature horror as well, the kind of sense yeah. that nature in itself is quite, it, it has has elements to it that, that can be quite horrific. I mean, I'm a big fan of Everett de Roche and, and Long Long Weekend. Yeah, um, no, that's, I mean, a, that's, that's a film, yeah. haunting, haunting. And, and I think I am a pretty obsessed with nature anyway, and that was one of the ideas behind this. I mean, I, I kind of, um, I, lo- I love the idea that man, you know, give him a piece of land or, a, a you know, sort of any kind of ownership and he'll try and tame it and use it and exploit it and cultivate it, which is what we what we do. But it's... It's kind of I don't know. It, it, it seems a bit arrogant, and that there's there's always there's always the potential for, for some sort of you know revenge or mm. or, or backlash. Um, I, I I think nature nature is really brutal, and and the idea that we have tamed it and can get away with without any kind of ramifications is is, is something that we live in. Not trying to be a hippie or anything, but it's something that we live in in this kind of denial about at the moment. It will come back and bite us on the arse in, in, in future future generations mm. um the 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 thing with the i guess the different ideas that are coming out is because you know waited a long time to make a horror film and so i guess you have lots of different influences and ideas that are you know pushing to get out um but also with things like mr james i mean i love the idea of misdirection and and setting things up and then keeping the keeping the audience disorientated and, and finding, finding it hard to navigate forward so that mm. you know if you can sort of create that kind of doubt and and wonder then you know the audience will do half the work for you they'll mm. they'll, they'll they'll start to come up with their own theories and build in their own tension into what's happening next and start you know it's our, it's our nature to try and get ahead you know if you're driving in your car and you see another car in front of you you you're going to probably even if it's a long way away you'll probably try and catch up to it and overtake it we're always looking forwards and we do that in film as well yeah so if if, if you give people certain ammo certain certain you know, kind of evidence they're going to try and get ahead yeah and sometimes you know creep themselves out in the process yeah um, and i think that's what we tried to do there was just you know in the same way you 
James sort of never really properly described the things he was talking about. He just inferred things and then let you go off and use your imagination. Yeah. I don't think a lot of filmmakers do that these days. I think people are very concerned with, you know, looking slick and great effects and being, you know, shooting really well and making things look great and not necessarily just concentrating on the idea of just, you know, feeding people's brain and letting them, letting them sort of, you know, scare themselves into a corner, which is quite easy to do if you stop and think about it. I mean, you know, and, and writers have been doing that for hundreds of years with short stories without even the ability of using, you know, film stock and audio and actors. So mm. it seems quite simple, really. There's also that sense in the fa- that the fallow field does very well, which is you think that you're looking at one type of subgenre, but then it kind of moves, it kind of twists around and, and wrong foots you. And there's certainly at least a couple of times in that film when I was watching it when I thought, hey, hold on, I thought this, had, oh, I thought he'd done it, oh, I thought, you know... Uh, without giving it away, but there is that there is definitely that sense that that you almost could lose the audience because you think it's 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 kind of moved it's it's moved in such a kind of sidestep yeah. that you go oh what the hell's going to happen mm. now almost a little bit like Psycho must have done in the nineteen sixties where you, halfway through the film you go oh well where the hell is it going to go now you know yeah I think you need to have I mean I. For something that's quite not over the top's probably the wrong phrase, but it's a, there's a lot going on. Um, I think you kind of have to then sort of dampen it down with a very realistic approach as well. Yeah. Um, and and on top of that, you need really good actors. And I think if 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 it doesn't look like everybody's heart's really in it and you're playing it straight um, and you're taking it very seriously, then it's not going to work. And I think that was the thing with this: we had to try and be aware of some of the the wilder ideas in the script mm. and, and, and then try and approach it in a way that um, just, just didn't, didn't over, you know, get overexcited about it and, yeah. and just didn't, didn't kind of amp it up too much, but just treated it as if it was quite normal. I think with the Callum character as well, the fact he's very kind of blue collar and, and, and very just, you know, pragmatic. He's a farmer, and he mm. just, you know, he, you know, he deals with nature. So if you think about nature, there's wonderful things, wonderful, terrible things going on all the time. That we, you know, if you live in, if you don't live in the country, you probably don't see, and you don't really, you know, kind of uh, appreciate. Whereas for a man who works on a farm, they probably sees all sorts of stuff going on around him, mm. and that has that same kind of sort of almost cynical or you know, kind of matter of fact approach to the things that he sees and he discovers and then uses because it's just something else in nature as far as he's concerned. Of course. Yeah. He, he, he hardly questions it himself really, does he? Just kind no. of uses it. Like, let's talk a little bit about your background. You were saying about grounding things in reality and so on. And it says, uh, in, in, in your sort of biog that you were a news cameraman, um, amongst many other things. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey towards making the fallow feel? Yeah, it's a long one. <laughs> um, I, I, I always wanted to write, and uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to learn, learn the trade of sort of you know, video production mm. um, and TV production, just to sort of be a better writer. And sort of ended up being sidetracked into, into TV, where I worked in news and documentaries for a long time. Um, uh, technical operator, editor, cameraman, and then later on working in 
operations, looking after sort of uh, video on demand with 4OD, etc. Um, so I've been around in the in the sort of broadcasting industry for about 20 years, um, and always wrote mm. and wrote and wrote and wrote. And like a lot of people um, out there, you know, you kind of write things and you you put them in your drawer or you give them to your girlfriend to read. And then after some time, you might realize you need to get out there and try and network or, you know, pitch to people. And uh, for me, it was a long journey. I was one of those like kind of air guitar writers, you know, sort of doing everything in my bedroom and yeah. and not really kind of making contact with the outside world. And then I uh, went to a, uh, a business of script writing seminar in Cambridge pretty – about 10 years ago and did the worst pitch you could possibly imagine to about 30 people in a, in a large room where I had a mic and just my throat was cracking and I, I just couldn't do it uh, but they liked the the idea and mm. they saw that I was trying to get it across and it was enough of a you know, sort of motivation to go off and, and, and do it again and, and then I started going to festivals and I, I went to I started going to Cannes um, and, and there I met Colin who we work together on the film with mm. and a lot of other people. And, and I think the thing I found is that it's taken me a long time to get to a point where I could make a film, but it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of people. It's like speed dating all the time. There's a lot of people in the industry just constantly sort of meeting other people and mm. keep track on people and just sort of, you know, non-committal kind of like cups of cups of tea and coffee or mm. beers and wines. But one thing that's always a constant is if you've got a lot of passion what you want to do um it does get actually get noticed and mm. people will sort of you know and then can, people can be helpful as well will track you and bear you in mind and and so for me that was that was what i was building up to very very slowly and i had a had a, a short film that had been around a bit in some festivals which i hadn't i'd written i hadn't directed and then i would got a couple of things optioned and one of them sort of fell apart quite late stage where I was very naive and I thought it was all going ahead and I got very upset. I was in Cannes and I remember spending the whole week um, pretty much on the balcony drinking wine mm. <laughs> and just feeling sorry for myself because I'd had this meeting where this film that was going to get, be made had just suddenly yeah. kind of fallen apart. For, and then, uh, there's a million reasons why a film can fall apart in, before it even gets to pre-production. So mm. um, at, at that point, just thought, oh, God, I'm going to have to do it myself, aren't yeah. I? I'm going to have to try and raise some money and do it myself. And that's what I, I decided to do. And I started writing a script that was sort of tailored for that. In the meantime, another producer I'd, be, I'd been sort of speaking with for a couple of years, and we'd been meeting up, and I'd pitch him desperately, and then he'd sort of buy me a drink and laugh, and we'd go our separate ways, and then we'd meet up again. I'd pitch him with the latest ideas, and mm -hmm. we're like that for a long time. And he read it. He read The Fallow Field, and um, he got back to me. He didn't like the ending, which I don't agree with personally, mm, but, he, yeah. you know, he really liked it. And he he, he sort of, that, that kind of, at that point in my life where I was feeling motivated slash desperate enough to try and make a film myself and then getting, uh, you know, a, a kind of working producer's kind of feedback from, from that script thought made me think about it again. And I looked at it and I thought, well, you know, if there's ever a film that's possibly doable, on a relatively low budget, that's probably it. Mm. If I make a few changes, and that was that. Really, it was. It was. Uh, went and spoke to Colin, um, trying to seduce him to come and work on it, which he did. And then, it, in terms of pre-production, all very happened very quickly after that. Mm. So basically, it was about twenty years of running around writing scripts and doing nothing. And then sure. suddenly, when I decided to make the film, it, it all kind of happened very quickly. Yeah. 
the financing is always the hurdle, isn't it? Especially for independent films. So how, how did you raise the money in the end for the fallow field? Well, this is it entirely. Um, for me, it was all my savings. So yeah. I, I, I literally, um, I, I set a, set a budget and then set a contingency and went far beyond it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, pretty naive really. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but went for it and financed it myself. But then, um, Colin was working for a company called Flaming Pear, which had a, we wanted to set up a, a fiction arm called Figment, which now exists. Mm-hmm. And they were really good. I mean, they, they couldn't, they, they, they weren't in a position to invest in it, but they were in a, in a position to give us posts, to give us mm. um, resources, to let's use the offices, to get deals on equipment, mm. and and just had the clout of, a, of what the time was was a, a sort of corporate video production to sort of just have those, you know, kind of people and and, and relationships in place to make it to to up the production value to something that was mm. that was you know industry standard rather than me just going off with a couple of friends and trying to do it so those guys sort of coming on board really made a difference um and we all kind of tried to step up together so that was what it was really it was yeah. kind of um a budget but then with a lot of a lot of services in kind shall we say sure. and i guess that's what a lot of people do you know you, i think other in the 90s there was that kind of craze for credit card films and uh, you know, sort of people sort of going off and doing it themselves. But I still think that, you know, there's not that much more option if you want to break through and get noticed because, um, you know, who's, who's going to take a bet on you if you're not going to take a bet on yourself first time out? And I, I don't believe in the whole funding thing. I mean, the, I've, I've been around a long time. I, I, from, I've got a lot of friends in the industry and I, I don't I don't really ever expect to, to see any funding, you know, mm. through through official channels, and then if they do, and then they by the time they'll, they've match funded it, you know, you see these films that take five years to get sort of put together in finance terms in Britain, yeah. Um, yeah. and and then by then, I mean, who's who's passionate about the project anymore? You know, I mean, some sometimes people still are, and it's burning away. A lot of the time, the, the idea has been changed so much by the different people coming on board, or the original. The original concepts just you know you wrote it at a certain time in your life and now you've moved on and you don't feel the same way about it i think you need to once you're ready to once you've got the draft ready you need to try and find some energy and find some money and go off and make it while you still feel passionate about it because mm. it doesn't feel like it's a low budget film probably because it is so so kind of contained uh, you know it's basically a two-hander isn't it in term uh, with a couple of very strong castings there uh, and you've also got fantastic location uh, and all the great landscape and so on so yeah uh, i think that's it's something the, we... right, the right size for the story so it doesn't yeah. feel like the budget is kind of lacking in any way yeah i mean we, we cut a few things from the from the script that we just felt we couldn't do as well as we'd like to if we were going to go down that road um but generally so yeah you, you know i don't i didn't want to make a film where people watch it and then go yeah, 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 but it's you know for an indie film, it's yeah. I want it to film. Yeah, <laughs> I want it to stand stand alone, and people say, "Well, I liked it, or I didn't like it." And if you didn't like it, you didn't like it for these reasons. If you liked it, you liked it for these reasons. Mm. Not not it have that kind of indie caveat, which I appreciate, but it's not what we were trying to do. We were actually trying to make a film we could sell them and, and people could enjoy, rather than it being like you know a first time out experiment. Yeah, sure. It's very carefully. It, it seems to be very carefully designed in terms of the shots. And the, did you storyboard it? And how, how did you work with the 
director of photography, Nicholas Kinden. Uh, Nick, Nick's great, and Nick loves horror. Um, and I've known Nick a long time, so we 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 had the ability to shorthand, yeah. on, which was good because um, I didn't storyboard. I used overhead schematics to mm. mm-hmm. to, to sort of bird's eye view it. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, we planned it out very well. But there were it was a very very tight, tough shoot. So there were parts where we just kind of threw that away, to be honest. Yeah. And uh, like the night shoot, I mean, the night the main there's quite a long night sequence in there where a lot of more, the more action bits sort of dovetail together. And, um, that we were literally running out of night, you know, on the, on the, the evenings we were doing it. So we, we, we sort of just sort of, I'd be about three or four shots ahead working out what it was. Then mm. we were, we're doing it that way, but, but generally, yeah, very, very, um, very, very planned out initially. And also we, we had a B roll team, but I, I, I went back with Nick and we did a lot of B-roll, directed B-roll, because I, I wanted it to drip with atmosphere as well. Yeah. And, I, you know, no disrespect to the B-roll team, I wanted um, I wanted Nick to shoot shoot that stuff as well, because it wasn't just B-roll to me. It was as important as the, you know, the, the, the dialogue. Um, yeah. You had to have these amazing kind of shots that, 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 that show the landscape, because that's a character in the film as well, really. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, Colin, uh, Colin Arnold, who also produced the film, he was the editor of the film. How did he approach that? Did, did, did he have any brutal notes for you in terms of changing the story or any, any things that you hadn't considered that he had kind of uh, came up with? No, we were, he was pretty good. Um, he... he... I think he, we knew we we had to kind of go forwards on it quite quickly, yeah. and 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 we 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 couldn't we couldn't muck around too much because we might we might not get there in the end. Um, and so he's very very supportive as a producer. Mm. And then in, it was weird because he's but he's sort of there calling the shots and 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 kind of holding back all these people from you and, and managing the production. But then um, you know mm. a couple of weeks later in the edit suite. And there's two of you just sat there putting on weight, yeah. <laughs> eating lots of food yeah. and pulling all nighters. Mm. Um, so the editing actually took a while because we were using downtime at Figment and yeah. work, work had to come first. So we were squeezing in when we could. Mm. So it took longer than I'd have liked, but I mean, I actually really enjoyed the editing process and, and mm. Colin's, Colin's a very, very good editor. I used to edit as well, so I could talk to him in a language that meant, sure. you know, we really short, shorthand it again. Mm. Um, and... I think you know we didn't. It wasn't really much we argued upon, except for I think well, I, I remember him sort of saying there's. I'd, I'd sort of be sitting there and because I sat in on the whole edit and I wasn't just sort of you know dialing it in, and I'd put a sequence together and I'd go, um, and then he'd roll his eyes, which meant that he knew I was probably going to say, "What if we did this sequence this way?" So he was very very patient with me, both as a producer and an editor. He did a really good job mm. and. Um, didn't hit me once as far as I can remember. <laughs> so anyway, let's talk a bit about the distribution because I mentioned before, I mean, the film was shot, I think, in August 2008. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Uh, and as you say, the, the, the editing process took a little bit longer because you were editing on sort of downtime. Um, uh, but like a lot of independent horror films, uh, it 
the fallow field has kind of taken a little bit of time to kind of find a distributor, um, which I think is, is you know, as I say, it, it's something that affects a lot of horror films that they get shot and edited and then uh, they have to go through quite a lengthy process of festivals and so on uh, in order to attract distribution. But um, with Fallowfield, that's kind of like taken a three to four years. So what, what's been the... What's been happening in the interim? How did how has yeah. that uh, journey been made? It was quite a painful journey. Yeah, um, I mean for for everybody, especially on a production like that where everybody's working really, really hard. I mean everybody works hard on those kind of shoots anyway. But people really did do a lot for a little, or little up front, you know. So yeah. there was a lot of expectation, and you're doing it to help everybody kind of get further along in their career. And then it just kind of drops off the map. And what happened for us was that we, we actually managed to secure a worldwide sales agent quite quickly, and we were very happy about that. And they, the guy we were dealing with sort of acknowledged that it was a small, weird, strange film, but he really liked it. And, he, and I, I think at that point you, you, you learn more and more about the, about the way the business is, business mm-hmm. is done. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things are done on relationships and recommendations. And, and he, you know, he was going out to bat because he felt that he could, you know, talk acquisitions people into buying it through his relationships. Like, you know, he's, he's kind of, um, he's good word. But then he left the company after we'd been acquired. And, um, and I mean, God bless them, the people that kind of uh, took over, they just didn't seem to be able to, to move it. Mm. Um, and I mean, also it was, it was around just as the recession was starting to hit. And I mean, you know, yeah. Going to going to Cannes and going to the Marche around that time was like going to blooming ghost town. You know? <laughs> it was it was uh, and, and some real and some real deals going down. And I think for a film with at that time a, a pretty much unknown cast, low budget, and a strange film anyway, strange sell, something very different to what was generally going on in the market. It was a difficult sell, so it just sort of languished. And you know, we'd be sort of hearing from the actors and the crew asking how it's going, and we'd be pushing and they'd be coming back saying nothing's happening and on and on it went Mm. and then in the meantime we'd been getting on with doing other things and um making lots of making lots of sort of new new friends sort of in the in the in the industry in the in the genre as well and um and helen from from left films and from monster pictures was sort of asking why why the hell hasn't it come out it's a great film Why, Mm. why happened well, we just sort of told her, and she said, "Well, look, if if you can, if we can do some sort of deal, um, I'd love to put it out." Mm. So we went back to the original um, sales agent, and we sort of negotiated a couple of territories mm. just to see if we could go away and, and loosen it up for them. Mm. Um, and that's what happened in the end. So that's what the, the delay was, and and then and then Helen was going to, I think, probably put it out through Left Films, um, and then got headhunted to be head of. UK sales for for Monster Pictures, you know, Bounty and Eureka, which is really good company that's mm. got money to spend and taste in terms of horror, I think, mm. and you know, really going for it. And so that was, in a way, that kind of weight was a bit of serendipity for us because we probably got a, we're probably getting a bit more of a bigger, better label release than yeah. we would have done come out earlier. So. And that was the thing is it's 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 all those working parts again you know that you you can't you, you can't have any control over you just got to try and ride it out and i think 
we're looking away that it's a film that doesn't date because the where it's set and the story mm. it tells. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was frustrating. It is has <laughs> been frustrating for everybody because you know you're so excited and you want to get it out there and do something with it, and and then it feels like you didn't do anything at all really in the end it just sort of again it's another one of those scripts mm. that went in the drawer except dragged another 40 sure. people into your sure. project this time and then thrown it in the drawer so i'm really glad it's coming out now and mm. i think I'm, I'm pretty more glad for the for the cast and crew than anything else because you know so that's the that's the payoff really and what john landis has praised the uh the film hasn't he yes yeah he he, he really liked it and and um i mean that's it's awesome, you know. Again, yeah. looking at timelines, yeah, um, and some of the stuff he's done. That's that's great. So yeah, he he. Uh, we met him at we went to the release party for Triangle during Fright Fest a couple of years ago. Yeah, more years ago now. And I spotted him, and uh, and Colin went straight over <laughs> and, <laughs> and worked his way over to him between quite a large group of people that were he was holding court amongst. And then just shoved his phone, his mobile phone, in, into John's face and said, "John, check that out." And he had the Blues Brothers as a screensaver on his phone, right. in the middle of this party where <laughs> had the restoration version of, of American Werewolf out that year, mm. and everybody wanted to talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> the two of them disappeared to a corner of the bar for about an hour and just chatted away and chatted away. So they still talk now. Mm. But I mean, as an upshot of that, he was he was happy to to watch it. And um, he loved it, which was, I mean, you, I think you need as a as a as a smaller indie film, you kind of need someone to be a champion if you're gonna, mm. gonna get any 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 notice. And, and that was good for us. You know, yeah. He let quote. Well, it's, it, you know, as you say, have to have a, a champion in John Landis is a great a great uh, attribute for the film. So, w- what are you doing now? Uh, are you still working on scripts? Have you got more films in the pipeline? Yeah, there's, there's quite a lot going on, but um, a lot of it's writing based. I mean, um, and rewriting. <laughs> it's not just writing; it's then all the rewriting that goes with it. But yeah, um, yeah I've got um, there's a there's a sort of fairly big budget sort of sci-fi post-apocalyptic thriller that's that's shooting later this year in um, in in Australia, um, mm. which I'm looking forward to. Um, I, I wrote. Um, and there's another sort of very English psychological thriller that's got a very, very weird premise. Um, and that's hopefully shooting quite soon. Uh, and that's in England. And that'll be this year as well. So there's a couple of jobs going off there. There's a few rewrite jobs have manifested as well. Uh-huh. Um, I'd like to really direct something again. And I've got, I'm, I'm talking to a couple of different people at the moment. Um, so there's a there's a there's a couple of couple of people, a couple of ideas, the intentions there. It's just raising the money as ever. So sure. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um so yeah, I mean I I've sort of given up my day job now, this is what I do. Yeah. Trying to make it work. So um fingers crossed. That's I mean it feels, it feels people are sort of taking notes anyway. People want to work with you. Um but the directing thing, yeah, obviously I've done it once, taste for it, I really would like to do it again. Yeah. Excellent. So, do you think there's a, a, a bit of a resurgence in uh, low-budget indie horror in uh, Britain, thanks to films like yours, and also thanks to distributors like Monster Pictures who are interested in uh, picking up those titles? I do, and I think also, you know, if you if you make films, the the kit has never been cheaper. Yeah. Uh, 
And I think from the last sort of 10, 15 years of, of DVD extras, people now, you know, have a unprecedented knowledge, whether they did before or not. Um, you, know, you don't have to go to film school to, to, to learn the inner workings of film. It's not rocket science. It's mm. just good decisions being made really and, and a lot of effort mm. so i think they're in a place now where they can do that and, and they can do things that compete with with big budget films and obviously you know when i every now and again there's the kind of the low budget kind of big big story kind of uh, um you know news story that kind of encourages people like paranormal activity etc sure. and i think it's, it's doable um, which I think is is a nice counterbalance to the studio system because it lets it lets people with good ideas kind of get through, and 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 do or forces them to get through by themselves and do things, sure. and, and and probably do things in a way that's not going to be as as edited or as or as clamped down upon as you would be in the studio system because you've got less, you know, less people to answer to. So I think yeah, there's it's a good thing really. Um, I think you know it. it if you're willing to pick up a DSLR and get a bunch of friends together and get, you know, raise, raise a, you know, a, a substantial amount of money, but not that substantial in the scheme of things and go for it. Anything's possible now. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of those kind of films. It's almost like it's, it feels like in Britain, you've got more of that kind of American get up and go yeah. where they used to go and do that a, a lot more. Um, we look at, I mean, look at a lot of the kind of slasher picks from the, late 70s and 80s, I mean, they, a lot of them, they weren't that big budgets and they weren't, they, you know, they were people just giving it a go that then kind of launched careers that you look back and you think, oh, well, they always did it. But a lot of them, they were just, you know, chances in the nicest possible way. And also, and also making use of the new technology of the time as well. A lot of it was shot on Super 16 and 16 mil. And obviously now we're shooting on, we were shooting on digital. Now we're shooting on DSLR, which is even more accessible, as you say. So, it, uh, that kind of resurge, well, the surge in horror production tends to, in the independent scene, seems to be tied in very much to developments in technology. Absolutely, it's the environment, and I think on the, on the good side of it, I mean, you know, it's not hard for someone to, you know pick up a DSLR and go and shoot something and make it look good. So I think the new values, you know, the currency that that's coming out of this is for, is for indie filmmakers is that, you know, your story's got to be great and your actors have got to be great. So to, to differentiate you from the other stuff, because it's, you know, it's very easy to go out and make something look good now. Um, don't want to dec decry any kind of talent out there, but that you know it is the the, the, the technology is there, and you know I, I know people that have, you know got home editing kit and cameras that have never had anything like that a couple of years ago and can do marvelous stuff with it, and just just through toying around and tinkering. So to me, then that that pushes the emphasis back on the the onto the sort of the script writing to the direction, and and very much to the actors as well. Um, and then for everybody to do their bit, but for those for those areas in particular to stand out, to get you noticed by a distributor above anybody else. And I think that can only be a good thing because it's, it's pronouncing all the best, all the bits that are often lacking in bigger budget studio films. The Fallow Field gets its UK DVD release on 11th of March. Friday Night Frights. 
Well, that's it for tonight's Friday Night Frights. But don't forget you can reach me via the Starburst website or on Twitter at Starburst underscore mag. Until next time, stay Stay scared. scared. You're right. 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 You